Imagine building a more successful hypnosis business just in the next 10 days. To learn how, please visit worksmarthypnosis.com and take the 10-day hypnosis business challenge. Yours free today. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Welcome back. It's part two of the two-part series with Dr. Jim Wand. This is session number 25 of the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast. In the last program with Jim, you heard us talking sort of more of the history of his experience. And since we had this time together, I want to spend some time specifically talking about experiences, crafting the program, how we put it all together, how we interact with those volunteers, how we even begin to rethink about the direction that hypnosis is going in the future. And I think he's got some fabulous insights in terms of what those next steps need to become for all of us to continue to grow and improve within this profession. Let's jump right in. By the way, real quick, that website that we're going to reference, thepowerhousesummit.com. I think it's a fabulous opportunity. It's going to be seven days of training with uh, Sean Michael Andrews, with Dr. Jim Wand, as well as Richard Barker. Again, that site is thepowerhousesummit.com. Check that out. Or even just uh, Jim Wand's website directly, hypnotism.com. Great URL. Here we go. Part two with Dr. Jim Wand. You have that committee of volunteers on stage, and you're doing a mixture at times of routines with the group, but then also selecting specific people for individual bits. How is it, what's kind of going through your mind? What's your strategy for choosing those, quote, superstars to work with within that group? Yeah, it kind of depends on how I feel the callbacks are going to best benefit the show. For instance, if I have a number of really good subjects in the audience that I don't have room for on stage, now I've developed something this last year that works out really well. Let's say I have uh, room for 20 people on stage and I get 22. I will. Uh, I tried this a year ago and it worked really well, so I continue to use it. Uh, I put one on uh, each edge of the stage on the wall, and I tell them they're on a Velcro wall, and they're stuck in a Velcro wall with a Velcro suit. So they do the whole show standing up stuck to the wall, and they do everything <laughs> people on stage do. But with that being said, I might pick four or five people in the audience uh, who are really good subjects, and I tell them on a certain word, they'll jump up and yell something, then move to another location. If I want to keep it going in the audience, and if I have so many people that it's going to add to the show, if I feel it's going to take away from the show, then I, I then I minimize that. Uh, the next step is I do find several people on stage who I think that are the superstars, and, and almost every show has a superstar, one or two. I, I don't care. Um, how low key a show might be with a corporate group or how animated it might be with a after prom group. There's always a superstar. You just utilize them in a different way. So I utilize that superstar to where we're going to get the best value out of that superstar. Uh, for instance, the other night I had a gentleman, I had him jump up and say something. Well, it was, it was an adult show. So he jumped up and said something really funny and it worked out really well. So I told him that, uh, after the second time, every time he jumped up, He'd do it in a different language. And, I mean, the audience responded so much to that, I used it about five times. And each time, I mean, it was nonsensical language, but he was so intense, so much into it, that the audience just loved it. So I'll use the callbacks as I see they're going to benefit the person who is hypnotized, the benefit myself in the show, and the benefit the audience. Typically, the majority of my personal callbacks are at the end of the show. 
and I usually use about five to eight uh, during my post-hypnotic show routines uh, where they've actually already come out of a hypnotic state. I might do one where I say the word hypnosis. I try to use common words that I'll remember because the big thing is you have five to seven or eight different people that you've given different words to. You have to make sure that you use all the words and use in the right context, use at the right time. So I use words that are easy, like hypnosis, the name of the venue, uh, the state that we're in. Uh, so I use certain words that usually uh, respond with certain types of reactions from the people on stage. I might tell one person every time to say the word hypnosis, they'll slide off their chair, their shirt is on backwards, their shoes are on the left <laughs> feet. You know, so I have that going. Then I might have another person every time a certain word, the ceiling's falling. So they got to get up and make sure that people are leaving the venue because the ceiling's falling where the other guy is slipping out of his chair. Well, another person jumps up and yells, who's my daddy? Another person yells, I'm your daddy. <laughs> you get those things going and you get them looping. And you get them looping. And as you get them looping, I mean, everybody gets into it. Everybody responds to it. And the one thing I found, too, and, and I don't think people do this enough, but if you have one link in that chain that breaks – it can break the entire routine segment, so to speak. So what I do is I make sure the first one and the second one, I know absolutely for sure they're going to do it. If I feel that one person might not be into it, I make sure uh, I get a compliance from them with a with a visual head shake to make sure they understand, to make sure they're going to do it. Because the worst thing can happen is you give a suggestion and they don't reply to it. Usually the reason they don't respond to it is, number one, they don't understand it, or number two, they don't want to do it. And you don't want a person doing something that he or she is uncomfortable with. You want to make sure they understand it and that they're willing to do it before you get them in part of the mix because it gives them uh, much more of an ownership into doing a good job with that particular bit. Well, it's also that statement of building a program with a lot of texture. You know, you'll see some stage hypnosis shows that are very, and I hesitate to use the word, but formulaic in the sense of here's the induction, here's the deepeners, and then here's a routine, everyone eyes closed. Here's a routine, everyone eyes closed. And they basically repeat a similar sequence with different different routines, different skits. But it's kind of like, and I, I use the metaphor of, um, it, it's the music album where every song is basically sounding the same. Yes. Um, when you go to see a good concert and here's the upbeat song, here's the ballad, here's the moment where they suddenly put down the guitar and they tell a story. And it's that statement of how do we build a program that satisfies that, First of all, that flexible need, also that texture, so it's not the same tone the entire time. Because uh, I've seen in your program, there's moments where you just, you know, you, you'll tell a story. In a recent uh, event, you showed a video yes. where there's just that texture of the program, and even utilizing things that happen by accident, and often making those accidental things happen very frequently, too. Yes. And then yeah. making an accident become part of the show. I, I do a thing, uh, one, one of my bits in one of my college shows. I don't do this for corporate, of course. And I don't do it for high school either. But college, I do it where uh, some young man, the backside is on fire. And he jumps up, but he only moves in slow motion with his backside on fire. <laughs> and then I tell two girls of the firemen, they can put the fire out. They can blow on it. They can spank it. They can do whatever they need uh, to put the fire out. Well, uh, about six months ago, I was doing this. And I had a bottle of water sitting on the side of the stage. And unbeknown to me, one of the young ladies, when I was looking another way, grabbed the bottle of water, dumped it all over the back of the guy, which added entertainment value to the show. Everybody's, and I, you know, I, I acted like, my gosh, what did you do that for? You weren't supposed to do that. So I acted surprised the audience, but it got such a response that now I put a bottle of water near a place on stage where they can see it. And after the second time, if they don't see it, off the mic, I find a way to tell the one of the young ladies, hey, there's a bottle of water. You can use it if you want to. 
So it becomes part of every it becomes part of every show that I use the butt on fire with a with a bottle of water because it's become part of because something that happened inadvertently during one of my past shows. Yeah, yeah. Now there's a program, there's a bit that I do in the program that I'll do for schools where it's getting really cold and by accident the one at the end always ends up grabbing me too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> where it's the oh yeah that happened again. Like it happens every single night that I do the program. Yeah. And you know when you make that when you make you become part of the show that way, the audience likes it more because you're willing to accept part of it too. You're willing to get involved. You're willing to get hugged. The other night I had a guy drop me on the floor and I was underneath him and I couldn't get up. And I had the micro. This just happened Saturday night at this casino. And I asked, "What are you doing down there? You got to get up off me. You got to sit back in your chair." But I, I let it go for about you know thirty forty seconds because the audience was really into it. And it wasn't hurting me, so it worked out great. So there's the training side. There's the experience side. There's also just going through it. Um, I heard you speak recently, and we had this great experience. I was doing a, a class in advance of the hypnobirthing conclave recently, and we took the entire class to go see uh, Mark Savard out sure. in Vegas. Yeah. And uh you know, encouraging the students to also get up on stage as well. And uh, I've heard you speak before about just getting up on stage as the hypnotist and experiencing it. I had, um, I, I volunteered for local hypnotist one time and it kind of changed my whole perception of the process because my internal experience was that I was doing the things I was being asked to do and then I was hearing it. Yes. And it wasn't until that point that I started to understand my own representation of you know, we talk about a bypass of the critical factors of mind, and that was how I was experiencing that. And I think that's just probably one of the most valuable experiences for the hypnotist to have to just go through the process. And I know that's something you've done quite a bit, too. Absolutely. I, I call it a multimodality experiencing. And mm -hmm. not only do I do I learn more about that, but I also learn about what I could do to make my show better. I Every time I'm at a stage show where I feel comfortable with the hypnotist, I'll go on stage. Because I learned a lot from the other side. Uh, two years ago, I was I was on stage. Actually, last year I was too. But with uh, but two years ago, I was on stage. I was at the very end of the committee, and I won't say who the hypnotist is at this point. It doesn't I mean it doesn't really matter. But I was on the end of the committee, and I I'm very animated. I'm some namulistic subject. I'm very animated, and the the entire committee on stage, other than one person toward the other end, was was pretty lifeless. Well, by the end of the show. I had two, three, I had about four people in becoming very animated like me because you know that people feed off the people around them. If, if this hypnotist at that particular time had moved me to the center, then the entire stage would have become animated. Hmm. So I've learned that when, when, like, people ask me, why do I take my chairs together? For safety, yes, but also it creates animation. If I have a whole stage of 30 volunteers and only four of them are animated and they're all on one end, Rather than having one end animated, I'll disperse those four people uh, e equally throughout the 30 volunteers, and I'll have the whole stage animated because they hear what's happening around them. Yeah, you'd hear some people often complain about that as they're doing shows, often they have chunks. They have this yeah. little group that's animated, this little group that's not so animated, right. and that's the answer to that. Shuffle the bodies around, and then they can sense that movement. That's right, and you also notice at the end where there's not animation, uh, that end you start losing people many times. on. You start losing them because they become disassociated from not only any animation, but the group. There's one person on their left, let's say, for instance, not doing anything. There's nobody on their right. Pretty soon they get wondering what, what all the laughter is about and move into the other end that they're not experiencing, many times it can bring that person out of hypnosis. You can get a domino effect going where you can lose half of a committee that could have been a really good committee 
had you just made a couple changes to the lineup. Recently, what I've been doing, and, and this is something as part of the showmanship part of it, but several times and during my most recent videos, you might see this, they're posted on YouTube, is that I'll have people stand up and I'll move people around several times during every show. Number one, the audience is wondering what I'm doing, which is fine. Number two, I'm finding that different people work differently with different partners next to them. So you can create whole different scenarios by moving, but the only way you're going to find out is by doing that several times until you get to the right combination for your show. What I do is I never any longer say sleep when I put people mm-hmm. in hypnosis. I use a different format every time I take them back down. I don't just uh, drop my hand. Like I'll do a head bounce. I'll do a domino effect. I'll do a thing on my finger. I'll do a magic finger. So what I've done to kind of eliminate that boredom from every taking person back down in this emergency them into hypnosis, I've changed it every time now, which which adds a lot because the audience doesn't know what's going to happen each time either. And it just act, it adds more to the show because now I have uh, five, six, seven, eight different additional routines uh, added to it just with the, you know, reinduction. Yeah. No, I'd share the experience because uh, I did my original NGH training with Sean. And okay. it was kind of a fun experience because there we were, I think, the first day of the class, and I had just done a local uh, TV spot. And I had someone that really, at that point, and I'd say this is probably in response to the training level I had at the time, the experience level too, I had someone that just wasn't that responsive to, you know, skits and routines, okay. that I would do things and I didn't know enough yet to bump that up to get that more animated. But she was somebody that the, the process of the induction and reinduction was just phenomenal. And basically just out of the desire to go, I got three minutes to fill, I got to do something. That's what I was doing. Bringing them up and, and taking them back. Yeah, down. bring it, bring her up, bring her down. Sure. And just the different texture of when this happens, when that happens. And I think that's one of those things that you're, you're right that many hypnotists, even stage and I even say even in clinical environments too, that ability to, on one side, it's just fractionation, but on the other side, it's that extra convincer in the process, right. too. And it's yeah. amazing to the layperson out there watching it. It's amazing to how you do that. It's amazing to the person who's interviewing you, and last but not least, the person who's actually being hypnotized. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are some stage hypnotists out there where their their show is almost entirely the induction process, <laughs> that they're a little heavier on that side with the phenomenon of what's happening, and then almost as a courtesy at the end, they're doing a couple of routines. You know, both models, I think, work. I, I tend to like the nice balance of the two. Yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of the uh, therapeutic hypnotists who are using stage hypnosis more as a demonstration, I think they might do a little bit more of a longer induction just because that's what they're more comfortable with. Even though it's not necessary, that's what they're most comfortable with. And if they're more comfortable with that style, the bottom line is, is it working for them? And are they getting the response that's in from the audience? If it is, then fine. Continue to do it. Just have some other tools available if you want to try, you know, some different aspects of presenting to whatever group you might be talking to. Well, I know your program is very flexible, but the most recent time I saw you before you officially began with the entire uh, committee of volunteers, which is a bit of a misconception anyway, because once they're on stage, they're your volunteers. Once they're in the audience listening to you, they're participating. But you did an instant induction with a very, very tall guy standing, uh, which you and I are about the same height, uh, <laughs> and a guy maybe a foot and a half taller, 
which is just building that expectation of all those volunteers. It follows the same principles sure. of mo- moving around the animated volunteers. Absolutely, yeah. So anything you can do to sell yourself and to sell what you're going to do, you know, in some groups, like you know, as well as I do, much more convincing is necessary than others. And some you just walk up there, like when I do an after-prom party, you know, my pre-talk might be might be 90 seconds max mm-hmm. uh, before, before I get the volunteers and hypnotize. If I'm doing a corporate group, I might need 15 minutes uh, to get the same job done. So you have to do what you need to do for the group that you're working with. Read the group, read the audience, read the subjects. You're always going to have a good show. Well, it's that benefit, too, of working some of the same venues, some of the same groups year in, year out. Absolutely. That they, it, it, And I think that's the biggest takeaway in terms of what the real selling point, I'd say, is to a stage hypnosis show would be that so many other forms out there are here's the program, here's the start time, here's the end time. But with what we're able to do, it's all of the expectation leading up to the program. It's all the stories they're telling afterwards. And then you show up the next year, and that conversation is still going. <laughs> it, it really is. It really I, is. I had a school that I did a few years ago, and it was one of those learning lessons of, I'm working a little too hard. Because uh, I show up, and I mean, they're all ready for it. They've all been telling the stories. They're all pumped up for the program, and I'm... I decided to just play for a moment, and uh, how many of you were on stage last year? Just one person, and I recognized him, and he was just—he was my flopper of the year before, so I recognized, okay, got to give some safety, safety instructions. The chair beneath you will be there to support you completely. Your body will safely remain in the chair. Just watch my hand, and just lower it down. The guy just collapses, and at that point, yeah. I, I could have done that with the rest of the volunteers, and probably should have, rather than follow my full routine the way I normally did at the time. Yeah, because you already had a condition at that point. Like I'll, I'll, if I have a group on stage and, and let's say it's getting more and more as I repeat engagements where you get three, four, five, six, seven people, as many as that who have been hypnotized before on stage and me just randomly picking people out of the audience. I'll still get that many. What I'll do is I'll go right down the line, pop, 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 all six or seven and everybody else will be saying, whoa. Then I'll bring them back up and then I'll do it with the whole group, pop, 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 pop. And it works. Uh, like you so said. So if you're not, if you're not using the word sleep, what are you using? Relax. Let go. Let go. Mm-hmm. Feel it. Release. Love that. So I'm doing other words because uh, I think you know sleep is a misnomer, and I mean Sean, you know he's got the you know the hypnotic stare and the sleep, you know, which kind of a part of a shock induction, uh, which he does, and he's comfortable with that and it works. But I find on stage you don't necessarily have to do that. Um, do other things because if you go with a group of uh, like the corporate attorneys and you say sleep, well I'm not asleep. Well no, mm-hmm. you're not asleep. It's a hypnotic sleep. It's much different. But if they don't understand that and you start saying sleep, they start thinking about it, they start to analyze it, and they come out of hypnosis or at the very least uh, do very little in, in terms of animation during the show. So let me ask you this. Uh, that's kind of the bigger question of all. If you could give just one piece of advice to the entire hypnosis profession, I know I asked the simple questions here, uh, what would you want that to be? If you could make one change in the direction all this is going to go in the next 10 years. Number one, there's no big secrets in hypnosis. Do not be afraid to share your knowledge. Do not be afraid to share what you're doing. I think so many people have inductions that are secretive. They don't think other people should be able to use their their particular routines. They think that they have to be very protective and guarded. The way we're going to grow as a profession is to work together. And I think that's one thing that we're having a hard time doing is working together as a profession. Uh, the second thing is... Never quit learning. Never think you're too good. 
Never think there isn't something else that you can find from others and from yourself inside that's going to make you a better hypnotist, a better person, and a better part of the entire hypnotic community. Excellent. Excellent. Jim, this has been a pleasure. Absolutely. My, mine too. Thank you so much. Well, excellent. That, uh, the training coming up, you can find it online. I'll put the links in the show notes. It's thepowerhousesummit.com. Right. You can also find more about uh, Dr. Wand at hypnotism.com. Jim, thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you, and thank everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com. Please visit the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast listing on iTunes and share your positive feedback.